Welcome to the Antioch Dallas Sermon Podcast. We are continuing our series called Saturate, where we are learning what it looks like to become authentic disciples of Jesus. From the launch of our church, we have had a vision to join in with Jesus's work of saturating Dallas with the goodness of the gospel. But why is this so important? When the gospel saturates a city, spiritual renewal happens. People become more generous and empathetic. Families flourish. Vibrant communities are built. Race relations are more healthy. Works of mercy and compassion for the poor are invigorated. Schools are strengthened. Healthcare becomes more holistic and healing, and businesses are more creative and humane. When the gospel saturates a city, God is known and cherished and people flourish. And this is where you come into the story. As a church family, we want to renew our commitment to this vision and the values that undergird it. You have a meaningful part to play as we join with Jesus in saturating Dallas with the goodness of the gospel. Today's Old Testament reading is from Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. Our New Testament reading is from Romans 10. Because if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Our gospel reading is from Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Well, it's great to be with you guys today. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to say daylight savings time. Looks good on you. You did well with your extra hour. Parents, uh, you know, I know that kids might not have gotten the memo on that time change adjustment, so I've asked the children's ministry to focus today's lesson on helping them. Learn that for next year. You can thank me later. Uh, as the video said, we are going through a time of really looking at what does it mean to be an authentic follower of Jesus? What are the passions, the callings? What does it mean to really, from a deep place, say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian more than just in name only, but where it really touches a deep place within us. We're looking at those values, and we've seen as we've studied these last several weeks, the first value for an authentic disciple of Jesus 
is that Jesus is our treasure. Simply put, he's not a means to some other end. He's not kind of a heavenly slot machine in the sky that we pull a lever and we get what we really want from him, but that he is an all-glorious end in and of himself. That he is the bread of life that truly satisfies. He's the water that satiates our, our souls. That he's the joy of our song, right? We say Jesus didn't come primarily to give us bread, or to give us bread, but to be our bread. Didn't come primarily to give us treasure, but to be our treasure. And foundational, ground zero to being a disciple of Jesus is an invitation to eat, to drink, to taste and see that the Lord is good and to really grow in knowing that and living from that place. From that place of knowing and enjoying Jesus, we see that his gospel, Jesus' gospel, heals. When you read through the gospels, you see that Jesus had a really deep and profound ministry of healing. Healing of the body, healing of the mind, healing of the soul, healing of the emotions, healing of relationships and families, cities, nations, healing the world. And as his followers, we're called to receive that healing and we're called into a ministry of healing in the world around us. We've seen that in doing that, that we are better together. That authentic discipleship is not just a private, personal thing, although it is very private and it is very personal, but we're not Lone Ranger Christians, that we're brought together into a larger family, the family of God, and that working out our discipleship really is a group project. We've seen that it impacts the way we think about our resources, that we no longer live just kind of for ourselves and to make a name for, for us and ours, but that we're blessed in order to be a blessing. That his gospel touches even the way that we think about our resources, our time, our talents, and our treasure. We've seen that Jesus has saved us through serving us. And one of the marks on the life of an authentic disciple is that we're called to be people that serve the world around us. We're called to be marked by humility, by love, and by service. Save people, serve people. We've seen that to live that out, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. And we've seen that His Spirit fills. And as a community, we're committed to being filled with the Spirit. And all that that means and the way that impacts our character, and the way that impacts our ministry, and the way that impacts the depth of our relationship with God. His Spirit fills. And today, as you heard in the Scripture reading, there's a missional component from Old Testament to New. We see that God is on mission. And as His disciples, we are marked by that mission and sent out on mission ourselves. The big idea for today is found people, find people. Found people, find people. And I want to share with you about that value and help bring us into that today by telling you a story that I heard recently about a politician named Cory Booker. He's a senator in New Jersey, and I don't know much about his politics, but it's said that he might be setting himself up to run for president in 2020. And so they were interviewing him on a podcast about his life. And I thought his life was really interesting and pertinent to our conversation today. You see, he grew up in New Jersey and he was really talented as an athlete. He said that in high school, he was all state in two different positions in football, one on offense, one on defense. So as an 18-year-old, Corey described himself as God's gift 
to humanity. That he kind of walked around with a big head thinking that he was the man because of his athletic prowess. Now, his dad did what good dads should do. He, he kind of leaned in a little bit on this and wanted to make sure Corey really understood uh, where he was from. So his dad said, Corey, you're walking around here like you hit a triple in life. But I'm here to tell you, son, you were born on third base. He said, you are drinking from wells of liberty and opportunity that you did not dig. You are feasting at banqueting tables that were prepared for you by those who have gone before, by your ancestors. And then he would tell Corey the stories of their family. He would tell the story, uh, his dad's own story of having the grades to get into college but not having the financial resources. And of friends and of neighbors who gave a dollar or five dollars or ten dollars to help pay for his dad's tuition. And how they made a way for his dad to be able to have an opportunity. He told about other community members that helped them fight some racist housing policies in their neighborhood that gave them an opportunity to be in the neighborhood in which they lived. His dad talked to him about how his dad went to work every morning, sun, rain, sleet, hail, working hard to make a way for Corey. Why was he doing this? Why was his dad sharing those stories with him. Was it dad just kind of being dad? No, he had a real purpose. He was trying to give Corey a frame of reference to look at his own life and understand who he was, to understand what he had been given, to understand what was before him, that he might not live proud, but humble, that he might not live entitled, but grateful. That he might not live for himself, but he would realize the sacrifices of others and live a life giving back. And when Corey talks about his motivations for politics, he says it's out of this deep story that his dad imparted to him that has shaped his vision for life and the purpose of his life. I found it fascinating. And I wanted to ask you to reflect with me for a moment on what are the stories that are shaping you. We heard Corey's story about his dad. I wonder if you were to say, well, well, what are the things that have given my life context and purpose and meaning? What are the stories that I'm living from? And when I say story, I'm not meaning fictional stories. I mean these deep narratives that we all have that help us ground ourselves and understand the context for our lives. What are yours? Corey's was a story that his family gave him about who he was. Families of origin are powerful influences on our lives. And maybe your family passed on a similar story that shaped you and shaped who you think you are and your vision for life. I'm doing a course in my own discipleship to Jesus and my own apprenticeship to Jesus. I'm doing a course called Emotionally Healthy Relationships. And as a part of this, they have you go back through your family and to identify your 10 family commandments, the, the things that got passed down to you from your family about what was important in life, about how you treated people, about how you thought about work and, and your purpose and all those things, and to really clarify what those were to be able to look at them and understand what shaped you in the area of family. Maybe your family has shaped you. Maybe it's your generation, right? Maybe it's our generation that's really formed the narrative 
from which we live. You realize that we live in a particular cultural moment where there are certain values and ideas that are celebrated, that are thought to be commonplace, that are said, hey, this is what really living is all about, that are different than previous generations that have gone before. Uh, recently, a research group studied kind of our generation and said the number top desires in our generation, what life is really about, are riches and fame. Those are the two top rated things. When said, what are the values of our current generation? Maybe you're shaped, maybe the story that you're living is particular to our generation. I wonder what it would be for you. Maybe it's your ethnicity. Maybe you've been taught, well, this is kind of what my ethnic group does. Or maybe it's your nationality, that because you're an American or we're an American, that this is kind of our values. You realize if we were having this conversation in France or Somalia or Thailand, our view and our values for life, the narrative in which we live would be much different, right? Maybe we're shaped by our nation. Maybe your shape, maybe the thing that's driving you is your gender or your sexuality, or I don't know what it might be, but I want you to think about what's forming you. Corey could articulate what was forming him. What's forming you? In Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus speaks to his disciples a simple teaching that's profound in its depth and was meant to shape them to the core. He says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, if you're new to the Bible, I want you to know that when Jesus refers to the Son of Man, He's talking about Himself. It's one of His favorite descriptors of Himself. And we don't have time today to go into all that that means, but you can just kind of fill it in your mind. Okay, Jesus is talking about His role, His calling, His purpose. What He was there for was to seek and to save the lost. Think about those two verbs, seek and to save, and you get a picture of God on the move, that Jesus had a mission, that he had a purpose, that he was seeking after something, and he was seeking after something not for the purpose of destroying it, but he was seeking after something for the purpose of saving lost. Now, what does it mean when he's talking about the lost? Is he talking about kind of some seat of power that someone else took from him? No. Is he talking about uh, just some idea that he's trying to, you know, I lost this train of thought. I'm trying to get it back. No, I actually want to tell you this is really important. If you don't get anything else, make sure you get this. Jesus, when he's talking about the lost, he's speaking about people like you and like me. And to really understand kind of the depth of this term, it's important for us to take a 30,000 foot view of the Bible. And so I'm going to seek to tell you in maybe two minutes the big story of the Bible. Try and summarize what this book teaches that helps us understand what Jesus is meaning when he said, I'm here to seek and to save the lost. And to do that, I'm going to try and do it with two chairs. So, Joe, if you could bring those chairs up. Thank you, sir. You could cheer this guy. There you go. Okay. Awesome. So the Bible opens up and it tells us about God. In the beginning, God was there. 
that he was the one that created everything, that God created the world and everything uh, around us, that he created you and me. God is creator over all. And he created mankind, male and female, in his image, in the image of God. He created them. And he created us for a deep relationship with him, an authentic relationship with him, a relationship marked by goodness and authenticity and love and connection. God created mankind. And we see that in the opening story of the Bible. But what we see happen shortly thereafter is that mankind turned from that relationship that was meant to be their center, that was meant to be their source, that was meant to be their purpose and to fill them with vision for living. Mankind turned and says, God, we don't want you to be our king. We want to be our own king. We don't want you to be our creator. We want to be our own creator. We want to do life on our own terms. And when mankind turned from God, the fruit of that turning was disintegration. What do I mean by that? Their truest self, our truest self, our truest purpose, our deepest source for living began to disintegrate. You see it first and foremost in their relationship between Adam and Eve, that this relationship begins to disintegrate. You see it in their kids. One kid, Cain, ends up killing another, right? You see this disintegration begin to spread through the whole world. But God is so good and so loving and so filled with grace, he doesn't leave man just to get what he deserves. But God pursues mankind. God comes around. You're going to turn that way? Okay. Here I am. And he speaks to Cain and Abel. As we see the story unfold, mankind turns. Says, nope, still doing it my way. And we see God pursue again. He finds his people in Egypt in bondage and slavery. And he sets them free. And he calls them to himself. And he gives them laws that with these laws they could walk in the freedom that he had given them. They could walk in their true purpose and identity. And mankind once again says, nope, I'm going to do it my way. We see that in the story of Moses and the Ten Commandments and the Golden Calf. God doesn't give up on them though. God sends more. He sends prophets after them. He sends judges after them. He's pursuing them. He sends kings. And we see the story of the Old Testament unfold. Mankind turning, God pursuing. Mankind turning, God pursuing. Mankind turning, God pursuing. Finally, mankind turns and God pursues by doing something different. By sending Jesus, God in the flesh, to come and to live amongst mankind. And the beauty of his life, the majesty of his grace, just seeing him right before us, his ministry, his teachings, began to do something powerful in the hearts of mankind. Jesus goes to the cross and in his death and in his resurrection, power is unleashed to transform the hearts, to turn the hearts of people. The way the Bible articulates it, he turns hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. He turns hard hearts into tender hearts. He restores us to our true purpose, our true identity, our true family, that of being in the family of God. He restores us. He renews us. 
He saves us. He finds us, if you will. This is what Jesus means when he says, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. And then as we are restored to our true identity, our true center, our true relationship, incredible things happen in the world around us. I want to share with you two metaphors that the Bible uses to describe kind of what goes on in our lives. Number one is that of adoption. And I want to put a picture up here of kind of father and child, right? If you think about adoption, that's one of the images that's used is that we're brought into a new family, the forever family of Jesus. And that family begins to mark your story and mine. That family begins to shape our identity. That family begins to shape the way in which we live, the way we see our purpose. Another image that the Bible uses, another metaphor, is that of changing countries, of repatriation, of leaving one kingdom and coming into a new kingdom. Why are these metaphors important? Because it's meant to realize that what Jesus has done for us, the way that he's found us, if you will, the way that he saved us, if you will, is not meant to be a superficial kind of added to all the other stories and narratives that we just kind of put together to live life, but it's meant to settle down deep within us, to be a foundational story, to reinterpret, if you will, or recreate the other stories from which we live, to speak to what our family has given to us and to affirm certain things and to deny or to heal certain things. To speak to what our cultural moment has given us and to affirm certain things and to renew other things that are not in the image of God. To do that in our nationality and our ethnicity and our, and our uh, gender and so on and so forth. It's meant to be the foundational story of our lives. To shape us. And to be the place from which we live. That's the process of discipleship. That's the process of apprenticeship to Jesus. And I want to take a few minutes as we're here today to lead you in a time of reflection that you might reflect on the ways that Jesus has found you. I love this idea that we're not saying, hey, it doesn't say Jesus came to seek and save those who had their act together. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. What does it mean to be lost? Does it mean, I, I don't know how to get out of here. I'm stuck. I don't know which way is up. This is important because what we see in realizing this and recognizing this and reflecting on this, it doesn't lead to pride of look at me and look how good I am. If you read the Gospels, the first people Jesus goes to is the religious community, right? Because we're all in need of grace. And that's the beginning. It doesn't lead us to pride, but it leads us to gratitude. And some of you have grown up in the church, and so there's kind of been a few list of sins, kind of the sex, drugs, and rock and roll type sins that you, know, you hear about in the youth group, and then people go and do that, and they come back, and they say, I was lost, but now I'm found. And you might have grown up in church and be like, well, that wasn't my story. But I can tell you that there are ways, if you're an authentic disciple of Jesus, there are ways that Jesus has found you in your pride, in your self-righteousness, in your bitterness, in your loneliness, in your greed, in your envy, and all of these things that we all struggle with, that he's come for us even there. 
And maybe you didn't grow up in church. And maybe you, you know, you, you lived a certain way where it's very clear. He found me. Wherever you're from, I want to lead you in a time of reflection because we all have deep gratitude to give to Jesus. And I find life just gets so busy and we can lose track of what we've received in him. The finding that we've received and the way we're still being found and the way we will be found when he returns. Like it's a deep finding. And if you're not a Christian, this is a good litmus test to think about. Wow, has Jesus found me? Have I received his grace? What, is, what are the ways that he has come for me? If you're not a Christian, man, today's a great day to begin to receive that grace of God. So here's what we're going to do. The guys in the back, they're going to put on some instrumental music. We're going to put this Luke 19.10 verse up on the screen. And we're going to take four minutes or so just for there to be just instrumental music. And I want to invite you to reflect on your own story. I want to invite you to reflect on the ways that Jesus has found you and is finding you and will find you. Jesus, thank you that you came to seek and to save the lost. And that's people like us, Lord. And I pray that you would help us to remember and to reflect on the ways that you have found us, God. After a couple minutes, I'll come back up here and lead us as we close. The story that I shared with you at the beginning about Corey Booker wasn't just meant to root him in where he was from, but his dad gave him that story to give him a sense of purpose about his life. In the same way, this We've been found by Jesus. It's not just about where we're from, but Jesus gives his disciples a purpose with this. If you'll take a moment to look with me at John 20, 21, Jesus says to his disciples, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. That Jesus was saying, in the way that I've come for you, I'm now sending you out because God's desire is not just for a few. God's desire is not just for kind of one group over here, one group over there, but God's heart and his love is big enough for the whole world. And so these disciples were shaped and their purpose was set as found people sent on mission to be a part of finding people. That's what we want to be about as a community. We want to be about people that realize how deeply we've received the grace of Jesus and to live our lives not for ourselves and kind of our own agenda, but to be sent out by God's story and God's spirit that we might be a part of other people receiving this same grace that we've received. And I want to speak over you uh, as a leader in your life that God has you positioned right now. You may think you're in Dallas by accident. But God has you in the neighborhood that you're in. God has you in the job that you're in. God has you with the friends that you have, the family that you have. And he is at work and he has positioned you to be a part of his grace extending to others. To be a part of seeing other people found. Found people, find people. And as we close, I'm going to invite us to go to God. But I want to encourage you as we go in communion that you would take time even now to ask the Holy Spirit, who are the people that God's put in your life for this purpose? I'm praying that this would change the way that you view your neighbors and your coworkers and your family. I've heard so many stories this week of people whose lives were forever changed because a friend or a coworker or a family member just 
reached out to him, invited him to church, asked him how they're doing, took him to lunch, and it began something that forever altered the trajectory of their lives. And I know that's many of your stories as well. And I believe as we head into the holidays that the Holy Spirit has people that he wants to lead us to in this time for this purpose. So I want to invite you to stand. We're going to go to God by taking communion. When we take communion, we take of the the bread and the cup and we remember Jesus' body broken for us, his blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. And we celebrate that fact. If you're here today and you're not a Christian or you're like, I don't know where I'm at with the whole communion thing, feel free to stay in your seat. But if you would like to take communion, the, the cup and the table are open and you can take it when you're ready. The worship team will lead us in a song of response and you can come as you're ready. I'm going to pray for us uh, as we enter in. Jesus, thank you that you've come to seek and to save the lost. Thank you that that's us, Lord and that we're recipients of your grace. And I pray that you would help us not to live for ourselves and for our own purpose, Lord, but that we would be sent out as your people to be a part of seeing more people come into your family, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You can take communion when you're ready. Well, I hope that encouraged you. If this message spoke to you, if God's doing something in your life, I'd love for you to send us an email and let us know. You can do that by just hitting reply on any of the emails you get from us. Wait, what's that? You don't get emails from us. Oh man, why don't you go to our website and you can sign up for our community newsletter. Once a week, you'll get updates on what's going on, what God is doing in our midst. And we would love for you to be a part. Uh, If you've enjoyed this series of podcasts, love for you to go on iTunes and leave a review. It helps other people find out uh, about this stuff. Love you guys, and we'll see you next week.